investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 55 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So uh, we're fortunate again today to be moving into our second um, part of our sub-series Reminiscing with Richard. And as you'd expect, I'm joined by Richard Wakeland. Welcome, Richard. Thank you, Jared. It's good to be back. Great to have you again. Um, so for those of you who haven't, you should go back and listen to the first episode of the Reminiscing with Richard series. But we spoke previously and it was very popular. We had a lot of listens, which was great. Um, and we spoke originally about why you started Wakeland Property Advisory and some of the thoughts and reasons around that. But today we thought we'd... Um, investigate a little bit further around thoughts that people should have or research that they should do um, when looking to buy their first investment property. Exactly. And uh, last time we spoke about the reasons for investing, and I think, Jared, it's probably worth recapping what those reasons were. Number one, capital growth. Number two, income. Number three, uh, the one I really like, uh, adding value. Uh, Number four, personal control. And as we said last time, tax advantages right at the bottom of the list because that's not the reason why you invest in good quality residential. Added bonus and that's it. It's an added bonus, mm. just purely um, purely icing on the cake. Very good. All right. So I think um, I know when we spoke prior to today about this, you've got a few headlines, the sort of why, when, where and what that you wanted to cover off on. So let's look at the why. What, um, why your first investment property is important and what you need to consider when, uh, when looking to purchase. Yeah, um, one thing I did want to perhaps explain very, very carefully before we go into why, uh, when, where and what, and that's the relationship between capital growth and rental yield. And perhaps if I can explain it like this, because it's often uh, mistaken or misinterpreted as to how you put the components of yield and capital growth together. Yeah. So the best way to describe it is an investment property will either have a high income yield or strong capital growth, but not both. This occurs because those in the market for high quality capital growth properties are willing to accept a lower income return on these properties in order to own a quality asset. So they tend to work at cross purposes, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And and, and as I said, it could be confusing. So if you think about it, it's actually true across investment asset classes. So the the better the asset, the lower the risk, and the lower the income return, one needs to be willing to hold it. Now, conversely, a property with a high rental yield will have have a low value and low growth prospects because at the end of the day, demand for it's poor. So this is the important point. Um, To put it simply, high percentage rental yields are a red flag that the property you're considering is a poor, low-growth investment. But, you know, some people may be tempted to think, as indeed many investors are, that you can live with that trade-off and so opt for the high-yield property, that you'll accept lower capital growth in return for a high-income yield that that delivers plenty of cash, Unfortunately, this is a big mistake. Yeah. That's because despite its low rental yield, the capital growth property will eventually deliver a higher cash flow than its high yield counterpart. 
So what I'd like to do, if you, if, if you can just bear with me, what I'd like to do is to illustrate this vital principle of property investment by comparing two hypothetical properties. And I stress that they're hypothetical. So let's say property A has attributes that deliver modest capital growth and the property's market value increases by, let's say, around 5% per annum. But as per our property investment principles, because it's a property with a weak capital growth, it has a high yield. And let's say, for example, in this instance, that yield is 10%. Property B has all the attributes of a capital growth driven property, high capital growth of let's say 10% and a low income yield of 5%. Now, notice that if you add the average annual rental return to the average annual rate of capital growth, you'll get a total return of 15%. However, and this is the important point, just because these figures add up to approximately 15%, it most certainly does not mean you will benefit if you have just any old combination of rental yield and capital growth. So to have a really successful investment strategy, you need to put together the components of that total return in a very particular way. Now, to further make this point, sub-investment grade properties with their lower growth in capital values have lower growth in rental income dollars over time than first-rate properties despite having a high percentage rental yield. So as the market value of a property goes up over time, so too does the rent in dollars. So it's absolutely typical, as we see of high quality investment grade property, to exhibit a lower percentage yield than other properties, but a strong dollar growth. Okay. So having said all that, I and mean, that's kind of like a, a framework yep. to um, work on, we can now talk about the where, what, when, why, and how. Um, and the where part, let's, let's just say that the where part is the geography of capital growth. And by, by that, the most important element in that is that four-letter word, land. Okay. Um, and it's the land component when we're buying investment property that is so critical. And it's all about buying property that is in finite supply um, and the demand is there. Okay. So, so you I, tend to find that in, in um, the inner suburbs. I don't want to say just the inner suburbs because the middle ring suburbs have got certainly finite asset, uh, finite land supplies as well, but you don't tend to get as much of, of a finite supply when you start to move out, move out into the yeah. housing estates, which obviously offer a lot of property at an affordable price, which is the purpose of them, um, providing they've got the infrastructure around it. But from a, a growth prospect, it doesn't always lend itself well for that. Absolutely. So what, what we'll do now is delve deeper into the subject of, let's say, location. And of course, everyone knows at least one phrase when it comes to investment in, prop in property, and that's location, location, yep. location. It's a crucial element in property investment, but sadly, many investors get the location wrong. Finding the right uh, location is a systematic process. The objective is to find a property with high land value and optimal capital growth. So let's take a look at which factors drive the right location. 
first and foremost, it's proximity to all those things that make metropolitan living enjoyable and practical. So stuff like access to public transport and major roads to make it easy to travel across the whole metropolitan area. Those are just some of the keys to investing. Yes, yeah, so we, we also, I guess, there's the there's the um, the local village that people want, and then yeah. depending upon school in terms of access accessibility from a schooling point of view, it depends on who you, your likely tenant is, your likely occupant. Then you need to be reasonable proximity yeah. to those types of um, services that um, occupants will want. Yeah, and Jared, you mentioned the word village, and over the last 15 to 20 years, it's very noticeable how Melbourne has become a series of villages. All over, absolutely. Yeah, which becomes a hub to attract residents within the, within the area, and that creation or that feeling of a village type atmosphere even some of those tiny little um shopping strips that became derelict through the 90s and things that that were full of or might have had a milk bar and a hairdresser and those sorts of things now with the the demand the huge demand in melbourne particularly for for cafes and and the want for people to be able to go to them a lot of those areas have yeah. been rejuvenated yeah. too which has been uh, great abs absolutely regentrification rejuvenation so to continue with the right ingredients choice of location um, obviously proximity to top private and public schools universities yep. and post-secondary education those are the key drivers of demand and also as you've mentioned so is proximity to services which add a little flavor to life like interesting shops restaurants and recreation areas so those village precincts um, those local shopping strips in Melbourne um, are like Burke Road, uh, Cam Camberwell or Ormond Road, Elwood, and they're all highly prized. They're the, they're the larger ones, but I guess yeah. as we were saying, there's, there's been, particularly over the last 10 years or so, there's been a lot more developed and a lot more smaller ones, but that still bring communities together. Yeah, exactly. But finding the right suburbs is just the start. So we um, advise investors that they must ensure that they're situated on the right street where livability of residents is uncompromised. So what that means is a street zoned for residential use, yep. which isn't a thoroughfare for traffic, a streetscape which is relatively architecturally consistent, and a locale which isn't compromised by commercial or industrial activity. Yes. So location is about finding areas with multifaceted demand from all types of home buyers, tenants and investors. But I think this is a good point to remember when you're thinking about investing in residential property, um, that it's not just influenced by uh, investors alone, but home buyers as well. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. So that investment market and that selection of a property is also a property that should appeal to a future home buyer. Well, and it's got to be, as we speak about, we talk about a lot of factors that drive capital growth, but having a diverse buyer profile is really important so that you're not heavily relying on just investors. Yeah. You can get first home buyers, you can get sec um, upgraders, you can get downsizers looking at a property. If you're just relying on one, um, then your property doesn't typically perform as well. Yeah. So, you know, to cap off what we're talking about on the subject of location, uh, inner urban areas with high amenity, high demand are most likely to benefit from positive market conditions and they're most likely to have their values hold up when market conditions are a bit more challenging. Now, as you um, mentioned earlier, we don't, and I just want to make this point a second time, we don't include outer suburbs in our investment ring. 
Very simply, outer suburbs are dominated by houses built for traditional families that require a lot of accommodation at an affordable price. And because demand is less consistent, growth is very compromised. So the CBD fringe areas dominated by high-rise apartment towers and commercial zones also show poor investment results from residential property. So that covers um, the subject of location and where. where. So, um, Jared, what we need to do is understand what the correct architectural styles are. And this comes down into the heading of what to buy. Yeah, and it, I guess the style is dependent upon the location, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. The, so the ideal range for a single investment is between 700,000 and 1.5 million. And it's your financial capacity that will dictate what kind of property you choose. So let's talk about property choices. Okay, so we've got, generally with what we look at, there's three different types. We can look at an apartment if necessary, we can look at a villa unit, or we can look at a house. We don't tend to look at townhouses so much when it's talking about investment properties because townhouses tend to be something that's being replicated. Now, not to the same degree as a high-rise apartments, but there is a lot more ability to continue to construct townhouses, particularly in the middle ring suburbs where you've got reasonably large parcels of land. And if there's not the overlay controls in place, then they can be demolished and, and townhouses can be built. So we're a little bit hesitant in that. We want something with a bit more scarcity. The villa units work well in that sort of price bracket because they can be very well located. Typically, the sites are a bit undercapitalized in terms of the amount of land that's being constructed for very few dwellings and quite valuable land, particularly in some of the middle ring suburbs. Obviously, location's really important with them. You need to make sure you're getting in the right spots. Apartments can be good in certain areas, but they haven't shown the growth levels um, probably over the last, particularly five to seven, eight years um, with the amount of construction that's gone on. And there's varying reasons for that. We've done a number of podcasts on apartments and, and the performance levels and the lack thereof in certain areas. Um, but if you get the right ones, they can still have a place from an investment perspective. And then obviously the next category is looking at houses. And again, we typically look more at single fronted cottages, terrace houses in the, uh, again, in that sort of two to 10K, 15K radius. Um, again, because they have that land component that you spoke about, they have the scarcity value that you spoke about, and they also have the, um, the multifaceted demand, which is really important from an investment property perspective so that you're not heavily reliant on one buyer profile. So we can get first home buyers, we can get upsizes, we can get downsizes, and we can get investors. And they typically, tenants have a, have a strong um, interest in that type of property as well. Sure. And I think the important thing with um, buying apartments is there is a notional land value component in that uh, value. And we are starting to see in some of the really high land value areas around Melbourne at this point in time, say your Turaks and South Yarras and even parts of Hawthorne, where the underlying land value is getting to a point where it's starting to exceed the value of the um, apartments as a whole. So if you've got a block of four apartments, they might be worth a million dollars each. Um, so, but And you'd look at that and say, well, if we brought those together, are we going to get $4 million? Well, in some instances, and it's becoming more and more common, you'll actually get more than $4 million when the land is starting to take over the value. So, and that's, we're not saying that's going to happen across the board. And obviously with the larger apartment building, um, you've got more occupants and more owners to take into account and people, different people have differing opinions or things that they want to do with their property. But that's certainly starting to happen where that land component is taking over the sum of the parts. Yep. So um, uh, obviously 
So that talks, I guess, that talks about our what in terms yes. of what we what we're looking for, and these are the yeah. factors that you really need to take into account yes. when looking at buying your first investment yes, property. Absolutely, and talking about buying your first investment property, and we'll talk about it in the next podcast. Yep. The key to buying your first investment property is to buy as early in your lifetime as you possibly can. Right. Um, because building equity through capital growth provides a springboard that will enable you to go and buy future property. So I think I'm guessing we'll hear the age old saying that I've heard you say many times, it's time in the market, not timing the market Correct. in our next podcast. Correct. Very good. Correct. So that'll that, that'll lead into the, the next one that, um, that Richard and I will be doing. And this is becoming a bit of a series around uh, investment property purchasing and journey. So we'll look forward to having you back again, Richard, uh, in the near future. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, everyone. Um, as always, uh, this was episode 55 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. Um, as always, feel free to share it far and wide with friends, family, colleagues. Um, and if you'd like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. Thanks.